because of all the excitement and the things going on, um, I forgot to move my notes over to my iPad this morning, so I'm preaching from my iPhone, and uh, my eyes are not as good as they used to be. I still have great vision, but that's small print, so um, bear with me. Uh, but we, no, we'll get through it. It's, it's, uh, this is something that's, that uh, it, it's a difficult thing for me to talk on. There's, there's, I have had a lot of growth even in the last couple of years on my own perspective of this. Uh, and so as I teach you today and as, I, as we talk about the idea of giving and what that's about, there's some perspectives I want you to have before we go into it. But let, let me just say this, as, just to tie this in where we're at uh, and what we've been doing. We started the summer with vision series talking about what we're striving to do as the way and what, what we want to see happen in the church. And there's eight weeks of that. If you have not, um, if you've not heard it and it's online, we're actually putting some videos together for that that we could, we could provide to people and let them watch it. Uh, but then we moved from that vision series to distinctive perspectives that we have as a church. And the reason we're doing that is because as we've gone through this last year, we saw a turnover in the church. The vast majority of the people sitting in this room have been here less than a year. And it was, it was necessary to begin to build that vision back into the core group of people that are in this church. Um, and, and it's a good and healthy thing, honestly. I, it was a statistic I thought we would get away from as we planted this church. I didn't think that we would run into the statistic that within four to five years, you basically lose everyone you start with. I thought that that wasn't going to happen to us, and I was wrong. And we, uh, we haven't lost everybody, so I guess we beat that rule in some way. But the vast majority of people that are here now have been here less than a year. And the beautiful thing about that is this. You are here, and you are demonstrating a level of commitment that we have never seen as a church before. And, and you recognize this to be your church. God's working you in, in and among you um, as a group of people. And, and so that is a good and healthy thing. But it was important that we try to help you see where we're striving to go. And then now as we talk about some of our distinctive perspectives, it becomes important because it, it allows us to stand together unified. Kind of like last week, you know, Matt talks on uh, the, the sacraments of baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper, depending on what you're familiar with or what your history has been, uh, you've called it one of two things, but the reality is, is that there's an essential perspective with both of those, baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's an essential perspective because Christ commanded those. We have to follow through with them. We have to, to observe them. We have to baptize people, and we have to observe the Lord's Supper. But there's some distinctives between groups of people that doesn't necessarily mean they're not Christian, doesn't necessarily mean some of the ideas are heretical, I believe, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't partner with them. It's just this is the way we're going to teach and we're going to ask you to stand with us if you're a member of this church in unity and not divide over these things because they become kind of essential to who we are and how we operate. And today, as I told you, we're talking about money or giving. And the reason that this is important I'll break it out really better in the message, but the reason it's important that you have an understanding of this is because money has a special, it has a unique role in our lives. Money, it's, it's really interesting because most people don't really love money, but they love what money gives them. You see, we pursue money and people save tons of money and they, they look to invest to gain more money 
But most of the time, it's not because they want money. Because they want something money might provide. But it's, it's a huge place. In fact, this, this topic of money, you know, I mean, if you think about how the part it plays, our economy dries up and dies if it stops moving. That's where we've been really for two years in, in, the, in the United States. A business is not healthy if money doesn't move. If it sits stagnant, it's dying. Money, if, 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 if money is, is not that important to people, I don't know why Jesus would have talked about it so much. There's only one topic Jesus spoke about more, and that was the kingdom of God. You see, the idea of money, money is such a big issue in our life. And honestly, it's a place that I have hesitated teaching at times because it evokes an immediate emotional response in people. Because here's the reality is that as I preach about money, some of you are sitting there thinking, it's mine, you're not taking it from me, I'm going to do with it what I want. And, and the reality is, I don't want your money. It's not going to do me any good because it just provides other issues. However, we do have a responsibility as believers to use our money in the ways that the Bible demonstrates. And so here's today the teaching about how we are going to teach and how we are going to challenge our members and regular attenders to give and use their money. Now, if you're visiting with us, we don't, we're not asking anything from you. Be our guest. Hear the teaching. Be challenged by it. Be encouraged by it. It applies really to every believer. But we're not asking you if you're visiting or, or, or just here, you know, just checking it out. Be our guest. If you like what we're doing, if you want to join the mission, then join the mission. We're going to ask you to give in this way. All right. Now, let me break out for you the perspectives that I want you to understand where we're at. Back at the beginning of summer, I planned my sermon series. I'm not teaching on money today because we're in a building campaign raising funds. If that's, if that's even entered anybody's mind, please hear me. Give me the benefit of the doubt. You can ask Chris. We talked about this at the beginning of the summer. The reality is this is not a manipulation to get you to give. However, I think it's providential. It's where we're at. It just happened to fall this way. I couldn't have planned it better myself. God knows what he's doing, believe it or not. <clears throat> On the other side of that, I don't want you to think that I am not going to challenge you to do something that you may not be already doing. Now, let me say this first. I get to brag about this because 100% of our core members, 100% of people who have signed a covenant and count themselves as members of this church have given something to the church. That doesn't happen in most churches. There's a rule. They call it the 80-20 rule. 20% of the money, people give 80% of the money. The reality is, is that the members of our church recognize the mission and give towards it. But some of you could probably give more. And you need to be challenged that you could give more. Some of you need to hear this message as an encouragement God is using my money for great things, and, and I'm going to continue to do what I've already been doing. And so don't be convicted by this. Be encouraged by it. Some of, you, so, some of you need to hear it and begin to deal with 
how you're giving and what it says about your heart. Because the reality about money is this. It reveals something about you and you never have to say a word. It, it, it will tell you who you are with an honesty and a, and a perspective that you will not be able to gain without it. All you have to do is open up your checkbook. Well, I guess we don't use checkbooks so much anymore, but get, on, get online and look at your register and you're going to begin to see things about yourself. And sometimes those are good things, and sometimes you need to be challenged with those things. But the reason, the heart of the reason I want to challenge you today with this is this. Back when we memorized through the book of Philippians, we came to Philippians chapter 4, I believe it's about verse 18. Paul is uh, thanking the Philippians for the gift that they've sent. He says, I have been well supplied and more. He had been given such an abundance, he had way more than he needed. And he says, not that I needed the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So hear me. This is my heart. I don't need your money. The way doesn't need your money as much as you need to let go of it and let God use it in the way he intends I desire the fruit that increases to your credit. That is my heart. It's not, about, it's not about a building. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about what we could do or what we couldn't do. The reality is it's about what God can do in you. And that's why I feel it's important that we talk about this today. So I'm going to break out some perspectives. And also this week you'll get a, a PDF with the announcements if you're not uh, on our email announcements, uh, let us know and we can get it to you another way. But you'll get an email, uh, a PDF with that, that will break out for you a, an official position and, and teaching on this. But let me break out some perspectives that I think are important from Scripture that I believe we need to have in mind as we consider money. Here we go. First, number one, God's people are responsible to fund God's mission. I'm not saying that God at times doesn't use money from the world or from what... He owns it all. He owns everything. I'm not saying that there's not places you can look at in Scripture and, and point to and say, look, God used their money and their, their, their wealth and their material possessions to meet His, His demands and carry out His mission. That's absolutely true. You can point to stories like that. But the overarching theme of Scripture is this. God blesses His people so that they can do what He calls them to do. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are God's children given a mission to do. And part of that mission requires that we use our money to fund it. Because we live in a world that thrives on money. Because we're Christians doesn't mean we get out of this responsibility. In fact, it gives us this responsibility. Now, let me just give you some perspectives on that. Let me give you some scriptural demonstrations of that. All the way back in the Old Testament, everybody, every, every time you talk about tithing or giving, everybody says, oh, that's an Old Testament theme. Absolutely it is. But you know what? I'm going to show you today even that it's a New Testament theme. Here we are, Exodus 35, 22 through 24. Let me set this up for you. The Israelites have left Egypt. On the way out of Egypt, God 
imposed or impressed upon the Egyptians to bless them in material possessions. So they leave with silver or gold. And there's a passage in Psalms that says they were overburdened with this, but none of them stumbled. It's like it was a miracle. They were given so much to carry, but they didn't trip or fall even under the weight of it. That's how much they were given. They were given this huge amount of wealth that they left Egypt with. And they get out into the desert. And it's interesting that they're given that because when they get out to the desert, it's not like they've got to buy food along the way. They're not stopping at McDonald's and planning their trip to fill up their cars with gas. They're not doing that. They, they don't have a demand for that because God's feeding them. God's giving them water. God's providing for them. The entire time they're in the desert, their shoes don't wear out. Their clothes don't, don't rot. They don't need things. So why in the world did he provide this wealth? He begins to give them a law, and he begins to give them commands. And he says, I want you to build my sanctuary. I want you to build my tabernacle. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to take all the wealth that I've given you. You're going to take some of the wealth I've given you, and you're going to bring it. And this is what we see happening in Ephesians chapter 35, where Moses says, he says, So they came, both men and women, all who were willing, willing of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair and tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver, bronze or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. These people recognized they were blessed by God for a specific purpose as he made the command to build the tabernacle. It's a beautiful thing because we recognize there's a principle here. God calls us to mission and provides for the mission. But the way he provides is through the people he's blessed and called on the mission in most cases. He, he didn't call us to mission and then think that we could sit here and hope that everybody else pays the price for us. He called us to mission and he calls us to fund it. Let, let, just so that you see how this plays out, I wanted to share this next passage, Exodus 36, verses 3 through 6. It says, and they received from Moses, the people it's talking to here now is the people that, that they refers to is the workmen, those who were given build, uh, the ability and skills to craft and build the tabernacle. It says, and they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. What a beautiful demonstration of ge the generosity of God's people. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the, pre the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing. I'm going to tell you that's probably never happened in a New Testament church. Now, I shouldn't say a New Testament church, a church in our day and age. There's probably never been a time that people have recognized the generosity that God has given them and then been so generous that they couldn't come and give or that somebody told them, don't bring more. 
But that's how much, that, that they, I mean, they had just walked through the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground. They were recognizing God's provision. They were seeing him work. And when they saw that, when they saw God's generosity, what else could they do but respond in great generosity? So much so. What if that was our problem? How different would it be if the people of God still lived in this way, that there was such great generosity that we had to say, you know what, this week we're, we just can't take up tithes because we don't need more. Now, granted, there's problems on both sides of the issue because many church leaders are selfish men who want to build their own kingdom. But the truth is, is that many church members are selfish people who want to build their own kingdom. And so I'm not trying to lay the blame on any one group of people. The church is broken. But what would it look like if a church recognized the generosity of our great God and trusted him so greatly that we came to a time that we had such a surplus that we said, don't bring more until we tell you to bring more. Because the needs are met. I pray for a day like that in our church. Of people who have been so moved by God's generosity that that generosity overflows out of them. But again, it's not just an Old Testament concept. I mean, you can see this principle all the way through the Old Testament. God calls people to move and calls people, His people to fund what He calls them to. But He also demonstrates this in His Word in the New Testament. Acts chapter 4, verses 34 through 35. The church is a baby. It's an infant. It's just been, been birthed out of the first preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and they've committed to the fellowship. They've committed to the teaching of the prophets, the fellowship, the prayers and breaking bread. They've committed to these things and they've committed to one another and they are selling their goods to make sure that there's no needs in the church. And this is what it says. It, it, it doesn't just happen day one, but it continues on. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what he had sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any as, he, as any had need. There wasn't a need in the people. And people that recognized their prosperity were willing to share and ensure that there wasn't a needy person. It doesn't mean, don't hear me saying, go out and sell all your stuff because it's bad to own stuff. These people own stuff. And as they saw a need, they tried to take care of it. But you can be certain that they continued to work in the marketplace and earn and buy and trade. They continued to make more. Let me encourage you not to read this as some idea that we've got to level out the playing field and everybody should have the same amount of money in the bank account and everybody should have the, the same stuff. No, we're not, we're not that kind of people, but we are a people who are generous because God has been generous with us. So we go out and we work hard to earn and own so that we can then turn and bless people as God has blessed us when we see the need. You see, that's what that passage is showing. God's people doing the work of renewal and restoration that God is doing and calling us to. Acts chapter 4. Not only that, but you see them taking up... Uh, collections in first corinthians you see them paul challenging them to take up a collection to fund other churches other local churches 
And that's why we, part of Acts 29 Network, want to support other church plants and plants that we recognize doctrinally or similar that, that, that stand together. We want to be a part of things like this. Because it's biblical. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. The collection for the saints. That's a collection taken up for Christian people. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week. Hey, that happens to be Sunday, the day they were meeting. The day we continue to meet. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. There's a couple of biblical principles there. We're to, we're to collect and be willing to support other local churches that are in need and help them out as, as we're able but we're to take up collections and prepare for this. We're to take up collections and look forward to it. And it says that we're to do it as one may prosper, which means that it's to be done in accordance with what you make. And I don't know how you feel about how you're prospering, but I guarantee you, if you step outside the United States into another nation, you'll recognize you are prospering. There's not a poor person in this room when you think of it in relation to the rest of the world. And don't hear me saying that some of you are not poor and not hurting and struggling to see ends meet. That's not my intention. I heard it recently said, I heard it recently said by, by a, a guy that came and visited the, the United States. I forget where he was from. I wish I could remember. It would help. I think it was somewhere in Africa. But he came here and he noticed that even our homeless people are overweight. Really? What does that say about us? Even our poor people have an abundance. Now I know, I know, I know. In this school, let me tell you this. I found this out just a few weeks ago as we talked with, as I talked with uh, the principal here at Cowden. In this school, 72% of families are on free and reduced lunches. I recognize poverty in, the, in America is a real thing. It costs more to live here. It costs more to work, uh, to, to, to work here. I mean, it costs to get to work. I used to know a lady, she would call, and she didn't have gas to get to work, and we kind of would joke because she couldn't afford to come to work and earn money to, to buy gas. That's how crazy it is at times. So don't hear me saying that you don't have real need. But recognize the reality is that in comparison to many people, we're all prosperous. And the truth is, if, it come, if, 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 if the time comes and you come to a place where you can't pay your bills, let us know. We're going to stand with you and we're going to see your need met. Because those needs are real, but in relation to the world, we are prosperous. And should give in line with how we prosper. But also... Also, in the New Testament, you see the call to fund the spread of the gospel. Philippians 4, 18, I, I kind of touched on that before, but he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied and have received, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul, when he left, in fact, a couple of verses earlier, when he left and began to do his mission work, there was one church that supported him. And that was the Philippian church. And, and he commended them for it. You know, when I, when, I, when, I, when, the, when I began in the gospel, 
that no other church partnered with me in giving and receiving, he says. Only they did. And even, and they continued to do it because they recognized that the spread of the gospel cost money. It costs to send some, somebody someplace. It costs to make sure that the word is going out. It takes money to fund the mission. We're going to Africa in a, in, in a couple of weeks. I'm actually in a couple of months. Our trip in September has actually been pushed back to two trips in November 1 back to back. Ask the people who are going. It's right around $1,600 per plane ticket. It costs to go on mission. And many of these people, the, the funding is going to come out of their pocket. One person in particular, I think of his sacrifice because it's amazing. And I, I tell you his name, but I don't want to give him a big head. The, the reality is, is that he is willing to not just go, but go and not take money for, from his paycheck, from his job. So he's not only paying to go, but he's giving up his pay for 10 days because it's that important for him to go because he recognizes the call of God to go. If I told you his name, I bet you could ask him, and he would tell you it costs to spread the gospel. And we need to be giving so that cost is shared because the people of God are responsible to fund the mission of God. But also, in the New Testament, you see the church's paying their leaders. First Timothy five seventeen through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. And so you recognize in the context that Paul is specifically telling Timothy to make sure that the, the elders who rule well, who especially those who teach, are, make, are, are being taken care of by the church because the ox is, should be able to eat as he treads the grain and the laborer is deserving of his wages. It's, it's, there's no way you can interpret that except that he is talking about paying the leaders of the church. There's no way this happens. There's no way any of this happens if the people of God don't fund it. Let me ask you a question. How much money do you think we've been given by secular agencies to buy a building so that our church can continue to do gospel work in the city of Springfield? Zero. You know why? Because they don't care about the church doing its work in the city of Springfield. I've asked some too, just so you know. I'll ask anybody now. I'm not scared. But the reality is this, is that the, sec the world, if they don't see value in it for themselves, they are not going to fund the mission. So who's it fall to? The people of God. The people of God are not going to be able to have leaders that are able to pay attention and care for them as the leaders have been called to if the people of God don't give so that they can take care of their leaders. The people of God are not going to see the mission spread if they're not willing to spend money to spread the mission. The people of God are not going to be able to stand together and assist other local congregations to see their needs met and the gospel taken from them to other places if they don't take up collections and make it happen, the people of God are not going to be able to do the mission of God if they don't recognize their responsibility to fund the mission. That's our responsibility. And we can't walk away from it. We can't get away from it. And my reservation over the first two years to, to teach on it was 
was, was not healthy and was not good for the church. Because the reality is, is that this is a place where we struggle. And the reality is, is that even as I talk about it and demonstrate biblically why we should be doing it, there's still a part of us that hangs on to it and struggles against it. But let's deal with that struggle. Because that's the other next biblical thing, the next biblical perspective that I think we need to understand as a church is that how we spend our money reveals the God of our life and likely it might be a little g God. I told you, it tells you something about who you are. And it's a mirror for you to look at and recognize your own spiritual health. Why do you think Jesus taught on it so much? And sometimes he was talking specifically about money. It's not like he ever sat back and said, hey, I got this financial peace university that you ought to go through and learn how to save and give. He didn't have that. He didn't have the the practical five-step program to say, if you do this, you're going to be a millionaire and be able to retire by the time you're 50. He didn't do that, but he certainly did talk about and give principles for how we're to use our money. But other times he used money as an illustration for the truth. For, for example, he, he gave, he, at one time he was talking to the soldiers, the, the Roman soldiers, and they were, they were known for robbing and taking from the citizens of Jerusalem. And he told them, he said, don't steal from people and be content with your wages. It's him teaching them about money, a direct teaching about money. Be content with your wages. You know what? Every American could learn from that. Because the vast majority of us live beyond our own means. Be content with your wages. Learn to live off of what you make. In fact, I would encourage you to learn to live off of less than you make. But then another time he gave a, gave a teaching on the parable or the parable of the talents and he used money to demonstrate a spiritual truth. And he said, this one servant has one coin and and he doesn't do anything with it. And one servant has two coins and he doubles it. And one servant has five coins and he doubles it. And he's not saying, hey, go out and be wise stewards in the marketplace and go earn lots of money. Although you could learn from that and do that if that's what God calls you to. However, what he's trying to demonstrate is that we are to be investing ourselves financially, physically, time-wise, everything about us is to be uh, uh, investing in advancement of the kingdom. And you can't separate money from that, but you can't say it only applies to money either. You see, Jesus used it in several ways, but he talked about it more than any other thing except the kingdom of God. He talked about it more than heaven and hell combined. But one of his most practical and probably one of the most, most telling statements he made is in Matthew 6.21 when he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what do you, what, what do you treasure? What, what's important to you? What, what is it that you, that you strive to to hoard around you, to, to, to bring around you. What, what is it? And see, I'll bet if you look at the way you spend your money, it's going to reveal that most closely. See, some of us really like being, being comfortable. And we think that if we have a certain amount of money in the bank account sitting there for us, 
that it's going to provide for us when we can't, when we can't work anymore. And, and I'm not saying don't save. Don't hear me saying that. It's another biblical perspective, another biblical concept of saving. But to be wise and recognize that that money is here today, gone tomorrow. I was talking to a guy, I was talking to an accountant that's been watching some of this stuff go on with Russia and how they're buying money from the Chinese. And he told me, he said, get some money out of the bank and put it in a safe and just hold it as cash because one day our money will be gone. You'll wake up and the banks will be empty. I'm like, come on, really? How's that happen? I don't know. Maybe he's a conspiracy theorist. But the reality is, is think about two years ago when people had bought these houses and they thought they were investments and all of a sudden they weren't worth what they paid for them. Money is not the provider of your comfort, your security, and it can't provide you real satisfaction. But the reality is, is that we treat it as if it can. In fact, the reality is, is that as we use it, we begin to recognize that we may have gods other than the one true God. Let me give, me, let me give you an example. If you can have a premium cell phone plan and you have internet and you have cable television and you're able to eat out and you're able to to have a nice car with all the bells and whistles but yet you're too stingy to give to the mission of God you might recognize you have an idol if you're living in a house that's way bigger than you need. If you have a, a, a retirement plan that's, that's going to be so much more than you could spend in a lifetime or so much more than you need and yet can't see your way clear to fund the mission of God, you might have an idol. Those things aren't bad. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. But what we do with it demonstrates something about our hearts and where our heart lies. How you use your money, how you spend it, what you do with it, it reveals the God of your life. You and I, we together need to recognize that and be challenged with it. Because we have a responsibility to the God who is God. We cannot look at Him and say, because you've given me so much, I'm keeping it all. No. It was not His intentions. It wasn't His plan. It's not His desire. Well, let me give you three perspectives that I want us as a church to hold. Three words, or actually, it's going to be four words, but three, three perspectives. I want us to be generous. Every passage I've read to you so far, every passage I've read to you so far, you can see the generosity of God's people being displayed because they recognize the generosity of God in what they'd been given and what they'd seen Him do. There's not a believer in this room that has not been given much by God. You and I do not deserve salvation. You and I have a home that is no longer here, but that is in heaven. And we have a treasure, an inheritance waiting for us. This is not our home. This is not the place where we're to build a kingdom. At least one that belongs to us. 
as we have received, we are called to give. Sacrificial, again, every passage I've read to this point demonstrates a level of sacrifice. And in both of these, generosity and, and, and sacrifice and, and being generous and, and being sacrificial in both of these, Jesus is our example. In fact, do you, do you know why you recognize Jesus being so generous? Because His sacrifice was so big. They're tied together. In fact, don't come to me and tell me you're generous if you're not feeling the cost. Here's, here's, Amy doesn't like it when I talk dollars, so I'm not going to talk dollars, but I, I, want to, I want to share with you from where we're at and what we do. We have learned to live on less than what we make. And when we go to lunch with people, even now on a diminished salary, on a much less than what we made before I quit a full-time job, we still strive to buy things to share with people. We still give over 10% of our income to fund the mission that this church is doing because we're sold out to it because we believe in it. I guess if I don't, I can't expect you to, but the reality is, is we believe in it. So we give over 10% of our income to this church. We also are giving in a very sacrificial way to see and ensure that we get in the building. I, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I'm not asking you to do this. I'm not asking you that I'm not trying to manipulate you into it. I'm just telling you, I feel like I have to set the example. You have to hear that I'm not calling you to something I'm not willing to do. I'm cashing in a 401k. It's not a huge one. It's not a ton of money, but it's something. I'm cashing it in so that we can give it to, the, to fund the building. The reality is, is this, is that even on a diminished salary, on a, on a, much, less, a much lower level of, of, of financing, that we, we, we don't give as much but we give just as generously. And we have to decide to do things or not do things based on what we're going to do and give to the church. We feel the cost. We feel the weight. The reality is, is that if I don't tell you to feel that same weight and feel that same challenge in your own life, I'm letting you off too easy. Because we have a responsibility to fund the mission. And God has been generous and He has blessed us. He has blessed us. And if you look at your life and you see the ways that you spend, I think you'll be able to recognize the ways He's blessed you. And we're to give generously. And we're to give sacrificially. In fact, let me give you just one more verse that gives a biblical perspective of that. It's the story of the, of the widow at the, at the temple. Jesus is sitting down. He says in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, he's, He sits down he's, and He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they are contributing out of their abundance, but she has given out of her poverty. She has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And so here's the thing, here's the principle. It's not the amount that matters. It's not like I'm telling you that you've got to give tons of money that you don't have. It's not like I'm calling you to give generously out of an abundance that you can't see. I'm asking for you to give in a biblical proportion, in a biblical way, because God has given to you. 
And in that passage, I think we see her generosity and I think we see her sacrifice. She so believed in God's mission that she gave it all, even though it cost her so much. You know, I saw this played out physically in, in real life in, in, in Technicolor. You know, if you're from a, a couple of generations ago, I saw it played out when we were at the barbecue and Paige Kimmons, uh, 10 years old, she walks up to me. She has this pink piggy bank full of coins and dollars. And she says, I want to give this to the church so that we can buy our building. $30 to her is a ton of money. And it just so happens to be her whole savings. I about... Man. What an example. What an example. That's huge. Generous and sacrificial. And you recognize the level of generosity because of the level of sacrifice. And one last perspective. Eternally focused. Generous, sacrificial, and eternally focused. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. We read the, the verse behind this just a minute ago. But here's the context. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and still, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. When we give to God's mission, we are making eternal investments in kingdom advancement. When you give to God's mission to see it move forward, you are making an eternal investment. You are laying up treasures in heaven. And you don't just do that. Do that with money. Don't hear me saying that you can only do that with money. You do that with your time. You do that with your, with your talent, your, your abilities. But the reality is, is that Jesus in this passage and in the whole context of the passage, it becomes obvious he's speaking to these people about their money. And so are we going to hoard it all here and try and build a big kingdom? Or are we going to make it move? Are we going to put the life flow of so many other things in motion as we fund His mission as we're responsible to? Are we going to do it generously or legalistically? Are we going to do it sacrificially or, or in a selfish manner? Are we going to do it with a perspective for today or a perspective for eternity? I think we've been called to recognize our responsibility. Own it. Recognize that it speaks to our heart's condition how we use our money and recognize that we are called to be generous and sacrificial and eternally focused as we give, save, and spend. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just stop. And Money is a, a unique thing. And with it comes some unique emotions. And as I said, I don't need your money. I, I, I honestly don't, don't want your money. I want you be, to be challenged and grown. I want you to receive the fruit that increases to your credit as you let go. I want you to just search your heart and I want you to, I want you to think about where you spend and how you save and what you're doing. And I, want you to, I just want you to challenge you in these three ideas. Generosity, sacrifice, and eternal focus. And where are you at? Father, you are good and you are gracious. 
and I, I speak to a room full of people that are already giving to your mission. And, and, and so, God, you know our hearts. You know who we are, and you know who needs to be encouraged and who needs to be convicted. God, I, I, I don't, really. And so, I, Father, I pray that, that you would take my words and that you will put them where they need to be placed and that you will put pressure where it needs to be put and that you will bring encouragement where it needs to be brought. Because some people do need to be told you are giving your fair share. And others need to be told you need to give more. God, you, through your spirit, I'm going to trust you and ask you, I'm going to plead with you to do that work now. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you, God, just to break down any emotional response and recognize that this is not just another. God, help them see this is not me just trying to get money. God, that we might stand here together as your people standing before you all, searching our hearts and measuring ourselves against your word under its authority, under your leadership, under living in line with your commands and striving to be obedient to you. God, would you do that now? So, Father, I just I pray that you'd work in this moment. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us and change us and grow us and shape us, mold us, that we might reflect you, that we might be made more into the likeness of your Son. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.